What's up, everyone? Religion of Speed podcast. We are back again after another slight delay, but that's all right. This is it's tis the season for delays. What's up, Chris? Hey, Matt. Nice to be back. Yeah, back again. Yeah, back again. <laughs> I weren't feeling so great last week after either. After a third and fourth COVID test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're having the worst luck with, I know, with all this. Luckily, it wasn't COVID this time. It wasn't. But the first test came back inconclusive, and I'm like, really? I, I'm, I'm going to be a scientific anomaly if I get two positives this close together. Right? Yeah. Get the only person in the world to get COVID three times. <laughs> let's not hopefully the, and survive yeah let's not aim for that uh <laughs> record there uh so in the last couple weeks since we have been on air um a lot more electric car news just it seems like every time you turn on the internet and look at car news it's just electric car this electric car that yeah and uh you know it's 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 cool to see, you know, as a fan of internal combustion, there's always a little disappointment when I'm like, you know, I wanted to see a different thing, but right. you know, it's the future. And uh, some of the news, you know, it, it did have me uh, a little irritated and, and others, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it, it made more sense, you know? Right. And uh, some of them like that Mazda rotary crossover concept, I'm, I'm just conflicted to be honest. That, we'll get to that in a second. That one's just a, a weird one in general, <laughs> but um yeah i guess we'll just start off this is what i'm gonna be calling the electric episode and i wanted to cover some stuff we we briefly talked about last episode and we'll get into it this one um the ev west electric crate engine that mounts up like a small block chevy yeah that's that's neat that's a game changer right um and just just for all the project cars guys out there who you know small block chevy motors were were the go-to, right. you know, have been for decades. And uh, being able to drop an electric motor into an old hot rod or even an 80s or 90s era square body truck, you know? Right. <laughs> that's really cool, um, especially because everybody's obsessed with the cyber truck and I doubt many people will be able to afford it when it comes out. Yeah, doubtful if that thing ever comes out. Yeah. I highly doubt, like a little bit of a sidetrack, I highly doubt when the cyber truck comes out, it will look anything like that. I just, I don't see that passing any sort of pedestrian uh, crash laws is my thing. <laughs> it's really pointy. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're going to look at that and be like, no, that's going to decapitate yeah. people. Maybe they'll just put a giant ugly rubber bumper on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the uh, old uh, Lamborghinis, the yeah. Countaches. Yeah, and when they look they look great in Europe, and then the American spec ones right. had rubber bumpers. They did the same thing in what they, with the uh, MGs and the Porsches. Mm-hmm. And Everybody had them. Yeah, and they were just hideous black rubber bumpers that kind of conflicted with most of the design of most of these yeah. cars. Yeah, that's why mo- a lot of people just switched them out. They're like, especially if you're if you were rich enough to own a Countach, then you were like, I'll just get the European bumpers. Right. It's fine. But you see it on like the 280Z that's in the in the shop has the American spec bumpers. Yeah. And the only thing I'm and you know it's cool to see it on that one because it's uh it's so original, right? Um, you can point at those ugly rubber bumpers and then talk about history like we're doing right now, <laughs> right? Exactly. But uh, with that EV West crate engine though, that that could also work in that Z because part of the reason they made it small block Chevy that at least in their press release they said was. Because there have been so many swap kits for small block Chevys in everything. You know, you got your Zs and your RX-7s. Um, heck, you can put them in a Mustang. You can put it. You, you can put a small block Chevy in just about anything. And heck, for that matter, if they don't have a small block Chevy kit, they probably have an LS kit, which can be adapted pretty easily. Yeah, the LS kind of took picked up the mantle when the small block Chevy became right. a little bit older. And they are a little different mounting, but I'm sure you could figure it out. The point is, like... At this point, any car can be swappable to a whole electric drivetrain. You just got to find a place. Actually, no, I think it came with batteries, didn't it? Uh, so I looked, and there are batteries you can buy separately. Okay. I wasn't sure if the kit came with um, enough batteries or all the controllers you'd need. But that's another cool thing is on their website, you can pick up you know, these pieces individually. Yeah. So you can kind of put your own kit together if you want, or um, you, know, you can... Uh, you can buy extra battery cells if you right. want to do it that way. Yeah, increase your range or something. Yeah. Now, the only problem I did see with that kit was it was like $20,000. Wow. Which is kind of a lot. Yeah, that's that's more than a lot of the cars people are going to be swapping it into. Right. But at the same time, <clears throat> if you get on like GM's website and get one of their crate motors, like I don't know, like their 
572 crate motor or something. Yeah. I think that thing's like 15 grand just yeah. for the engine. I think the LSX is, is close to that as well. So I guess when you kind of consider that, it's like, you know, if you're going to be, if you're building the car from the ground up, like that's kind of the cost anyways, if you're going new components. Yeah. So. So it's kind of a it's kind of a direct competitor, a direct comparison. Yeah, you can choose to go internal combustion, or you can choose to bring it into the you know the electric world, which is always cool to see something pull up and uh, be completely silent. Right, and you're like, that's not supposed to sound like that. And then it'll blow your doors off because it makes like 800 foot pounds of torque at zero RPM. Right, <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah, that's that's going to be a game changer. And I think you know I know a lot of people are kind of against. Well, you were on EV West's website. They do a lot of other classics besides just they that. Do. They've got some uh, some uh, some of the original Porsche 911 kits. Mm-hmm. Um, they had a lot of Volkswagen Beetle kits, which I feel like that's that's the one that might intrigue me. Yeah, because then you can build like rail buggies or all manner of things using right. those old Volkswagen platforms, and an electric rail buggy would be a lot of fun. Right. Yeah. I mean. I guess what I was getting with that was like, yeah, there's certain cars where the engine is an important part of the car. Like if you get a Chevelle 454, you're not going to put an electric drivetrain in that because the whole point of the car is the 454 engine. Right. But yeah, an old Beetle, like I guess some people probably have some fondness for that engine, but all in all, like it doesn't really matter. An electric one, it's going to be way better. It's going to be faster. Yeah. It's just going to be better in every way, you know, and Sure, if you got a Porsche, maybe there's some special Porsche engine you really like. Yeah. But, or you were talking about the bus. The Volkswagen bus, I think, would be really cool. It's right. A, it's a shame that the first-gen buses are so expensive now because they're just so coveted. Right. Um, but, yeah, if you could if you could build a second-gen bus, which those are still a little bit cheaper, you could do an electric conversion on that, and you don't have to worry about having an old cooling system or anything like that. Right. And, you know, you don't have to get out. You don't have to have your friend get out so you can make it up hills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, and it, it, it fits the, like, aesthetic of the hippie bus, you know? Yeah. Nobody wants the hippie bus just spewing out black smoke. Right, but that, know? but ironically, that's what they always did. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, back then, the hippies weren't all that, like... Some of them were concerned about the environment, but nobody really knew what the emissions was doing exactly to the earth. So we were just getting off leaded gasoline at that point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there's still people that are like, put lead back in gasoline. And they're yeah. like, no, dude, we're, we're better off without yeah. it. <laughs> we reduced lead in the atmosphere by 70%. I think this is a win. We can call that a win. Yeah. Like violent. <laughs> it was crazy. Violent crime went down when we took lead out of the gasoline. Because people's brains were developing better? Yeah, exactly. Because the lead was just in the air affecting people's brains. And one of the things about lead poisoning is increased aggression. Holy crap. I had no idea. Yeah. And then people are like, no, put the lead back in. It was fine. It's like, no, it wasn't, bro. It was far from fine. <laughs> right? It's like, I, I get it for race fuel. That's fine. But yeah. And then aviation gas, even, you know, they use lead, but it's, yeah. it's low lead. Yeah. They try to eliminate as much lead as possible, but it still has to be 101 octane so the planes can run. Yeah. Yeah, because why Why does, do you know why airplane gasoline needs to be higher octane? Is it just because of the higher elevation? That's what I always thought, to be honest. I'm I'm not quite sure why it needs to be. Um, or maybe if, one of our listeners can, can chime in on that one. Right, yeah. If you know, chime in because like, that's interesting to me because uh, I wouldn't think it'd be elevation. Now I'm thinking of it because the gasoline here in Denver is all lower octane than yes. it is anywhere else I've been. Like in Michigan, you know, 87 was the very minimum you could buy. Same, same here, in Tennessee. Yeah, and here it's 85. Yeah. So, hmm, that would be interesting. I wonder if they just make airplane engines just higher compression. A lot of the airplane engines are older too. Yeah, that that's true. So that it may be something where a modern engine wouldn't, you know, could be adapted to run without it. But um, airplanes is, you know, you can hop in something and fly that's built in the 60s or the 70s. Right. They still have ashtrays for the the pilot. (laughs) Just flying around, smoking a cigarette, you know, big deal. That's amazing. Whoops. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, I got, I actually went down a rabbit hole a while back about uh, ultralight planes. Okay, yeah. Because they don't, you don't need a license to fly them. Yeah. Which seems like the stupidest idea I've ever heard in my life. Especially for the person flying it. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. Or just, you know, the person's house who got an <laughs> ultralight crashed into it. Yeah, strap a fan on your back and get a parachute and you're in business. Well, no, I'm not talking about those ones. 
There are actual like airplanes called ultralights. Wow, that aren't just little hang gliders. They're not hang gliders. They're they're called ultralights because they got to be like really small and really light. They're basic. They're kind of like a glorified hang glider, but you do sit in it like a plane. Wow. But it's like the one I was seeing. It's just like it's just a metal frame, a wing, and then you kind of sit in the front off a seat, and your feet are actually like dangling below you, and you got like this little joystick. There's the fan is like up behind you or the propeller rather. It's not a fan, <laughs> but it's kind of a fan. <laughs> yeah. But I just like, it's the propeller is like right here behind your head. Like, so if you crash, I feel like that propeller just goes through your head. Yeah. Yeah. That doesn't sound safe. I mean, it does sound like a lot of fun though right? until you hit something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, it just seems like the weirdest unregulated like thing in aviation. Yeah. I mean, no, they do have really specific rules about where you can fly those. Okay. So there, you can't just, you know, fly into an airport with no license and land. True. Okay. Um, so they're, they'll, they'll have, um, when they regulate airspace, it's kind of like an upside down wedding cake. It's tiered and it expands outward as you get to a certain elevation. Okay. Um, and those controlled airspaces, you know, they don't want ultralights in there. Um, granted air ultralights don't have transponders. So right. they'd have to be picked up on radar and they probably don't have radios either, which the communications tower would absolutely despise. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I would hate to be intercepted by Blackhawks in, in an ultralight. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Like You're like, dude, I, what am I going to do with this? Yeah, <laughs> I can't crash this into a, like a shed. It's going to be, right. the I shed could, will be fine. I could maybe take out a shed door. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> maybe put a hole in a barn roof. Right. Well, that's... That's funny. Yeah, I don't know much about aviation. I know you were thinking about getting your pilot's license. I'm still working on it. It's, yeah. a, it's a slow process. It's very expensive and it yeah. takes a while. Yeah, this seems very expensive. It's like if you didn't go into the Air Force, then it's yes. just like insanely expensive to get that. Yeah, and the, the Army or the Air Force will, or the Navy will pay yeah. you to, uh, you know, get 200,000 flight hours and then you get to come out of that service branch more than qualified. Yeah. Um, but you know, I have 200 hours and I had to pay for every single one. Yeah. So it, uh, it adds up. Oh, I bet. Cause you have to pretty much rent a plane, right? Yeah. I rent a plane and pay an instructor before you can fly solo. Can you fly solo yet? I can fly uh solo, but I can't take passengers. Oh, okay. <laughs> They're like, you can kill yourself, yeah. but not anybody <laughs> else yet. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think, uh, Going back to our electric episode, I think some electric planes are starting to become a thing too. I've seen a little bit on that. I don't know much about them. I know that they've they've developed solar drones that can basically just stay in the air indefinitely. Yeah. Which I always thought that's an amazing uh, technology. If they were able to have passenger planes that could do that, you know. Right. They could have floating cities like the Jetsons. That, the Jetson cities weren't floating though. They had- They, they were on they poles. Were, they were on poles. So I mean, we would have to surpass the Jetsons. Yes. We would have to <laughs> we have to do better, better than the Jetsons. I don't think we're ever going to get there, though. <laughs> I'm not going to see it in our lifetime. We're not going to have a car that float or a flying car that folds into a briefcase. I don't think. God, that would be so convenient, right? <laughs> just like fuck this, I'm out of here. Throw yeah. down your thing. Just bloop, bloop, bloop. Can you imagine that commute? That'd be great. <laughs> you don't have to worry about where to park. See, but people are always like, "Oh, it's like it's the future. Where are my flying cars?" And I'm like, I can't trust you guys to f- to drive in two dimensions. Yes, I really don't want to add a third. <laughs> Especially after lockdowns lifted and people who hadn't driven in months. And they weren't that good before. <laughs> no, they weren't. But they could at least stay in their lane before. Oh, man. It's it's gotten worse. Yeah. People have just become very aggressive. And, and you know, here in Denver, everybody drives, you know, pretty aggressively anyway. Yeah. And it's they didn't lose any aggression during quarantine, but they did lose, you know, kind of wherewithal and spatial reasoning. Yeah, I've noticed that a lot. Like, people just kind of seem lost a lot. <laughs> like, people are like, oh, I want to turn here. Nope, not turning there. Oh, nope, that was my turn. Yeah. I got to turn around now. Yeah. And I'm just like, what? Let's what kind of cross doing? three lanes so I can make this left. Right. It's like, and then change my mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm I'm just sitting there stopped in the road. Like, <laughs> you make up your mind. I'm not going anywhere while you're in front of me. And it's like that that stuff existed before quarantine, of course, but not in the amount it feels like. Yeah, the scales certainly expanded. Right. And it's a uh, it's a little scary to yeah. just go get groceries sometimes, <laughs> right? You, just, you you get to the grocery store and you're all amped up. You're just like, oh, I almost died. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. The uh, I think part of the reason though, like Denver has some of the worst, like most aggressive drivers, is because we have driving styles from all across the country. 
That would make sense. Like people in Michigan drove fast, but everybody kind of knew that and everybody like got into this flow together. Okay. But then you get here and you get people from like Michigan or Texas drivers drive really fast. Actually, Texas drivers drive really aggressively. And then you get people from like, I don't know, Kansas or something who just putts around. And it's just like, yeah. I think there's too many different types of driving styles. We got the really aggressives. We got the not aggressives. We got the timids. We got the, you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. And I'm thinking once, you know, it's funny because everybody wants to live in Colorado. So we're just right. going to keep drawing those those driving styles from everywhere. Right. Um, you know, I was an aggressive driver in Tennessee compared to most other drivers. And here I'm pretty much average. <laughs> Right. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see. In Tennessee, everybody drives pretty slowly. Um, okay. Because the police are very aggressive. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, people will uh, people will stay in the left lane and impose their speed on you because they feel the moral authority oh, to do yeah. so. Oh, yeah. I always love that. Yeah. Yeah, that's always great. And, that doesn't and piss me off at all. Here, people will, you know, they'll <clears throat> ride up on your bumper. They'll get out of your way and they'll flip you off. But the point is they get out of your way. Right. <laughs> They're like, I don't like you, but you do you. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I'm I'm not involved in you. Live and let live <laughs> right. or live and let crash into a wall. Yeah, whatever. But I remember last time I went to Michigan, I got, like, I crossed the border from Ohio. Or was it Illinois? No, because I went through uh, uh, Chicago. So through, okay. through Illinois into Michigan. As soon as you cross that border, everybody does 10 miles an hour more. Like, literally, as soon as you get over. Yeah, it's state. crazy. It's like, everybody's like, all right, we'll, we'll do like a few miles an hour over the speed limit, you know? And then you cross into Michigan. I was like, just it's races on. That's amazing. Yeah. Cause I don't like, I lived there for a long time and I sped a lot and I got pulled over never for speeding. And <laughs> like, that is really cool. Yeah. I got pulled over. I don't even, I can't even tell you how many times off the top of my head. My radar detectors saved me tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's incredible how often you can get stopped in for, you know, kind of BS reasons. Right. In, uh, you know, in a lot of southern states. Yeah, I've heard that. Um, Virginia is supposed to be the worst. And Virginia radar detectors are illegal. What? Yeah. It's one of two states in the country where they're illegal. And I... the police have radar detector detectors. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Of course they do. Of course that's a thing. Yeah, it's uh, uh, supposedly Virginia, um, from what I've seen on a lot of the automotive publications, is the worst state in the country to drive through. Fair enough. I'll remember that. I'll just do the speed limit and be in the right lane the entire time. Or just avoid Virginia if you can. I mean, that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the best thing. (laughs) Sorry, anybody that's listening from Virginia. Um, Virginia has the, the... was it the Blue Mountain? Is that the, the highway? The, the um, yeah, the uh, I know what you're talking about. It's supposed it's supposed to be one of the greatest driving roads, um, but you know, r- sadly ruined by overzealous policing. Great, uh, Blue Ridge Mountain Parkway. Yeah, there you go. That's yeah, what it was. It goes, I think, from Virginia down into North Carolina. Okay, North Carolina, not being as guilty as Virginia, but I've gotten three speeding tickets in North Carolina, so it's uh, it they're not lax either. How many times have you been pulled over? Oh man, off the t- I honestly I have to give you a ballpark. <laughs> um, north of fifty. Oh my god, <laughs> I've been pulled over like f- four times, and that's amazing. And I know you don't drive slow. No, yeah, no. I know a lot of those were in high school in my bright orange Fast and Furious Honda. Okay, that maybe that had something to do with it. So I, I literally got pulled over parking in parking lots and sitting at red lights. That <laughs> both of those things happened to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, when I switched to the WRX, I, I still got, I still got pulled over pretty often. Yeah. I think people look for WRXs or cops do. Yeah. Yeah. Especially up here. Well, yeah. <laughs> that, WRXs have like, what is the statistic I saw? They were like number nine on most, uh, most DUIs. Yeah. They drivers. one of the, I think they're number one on property damage <laughs> in the country. <laughs> Not shocked. Yeah. And it's funny because you can. I actually got a insurance rating, uh, insurance quotes for the base WRX and a an optioned out Evo. And the Evo, when I was 17, would have been $120 cheaper per month. That is crazy. Yeah. And I mean, the Evo is obviously a lot faster. It wasn't even a WRX STI, just a base Just a base WRX. WRX. Yeah. <laughs> just because it's got so much property damage attached to it. And I called and I tried to get an insurance quote for an E46 M3 once, and they just told me no. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> like, no, nah, we can't. Like, we're not going to insure you in this vehicle. <laughs> That's funny. Oh, man. 
Well, I feel like we kind of lost the uh, the train there of the electric episode, but we should probably get back on that because we got a lot. There's a lot yeah, to cover. There really is. Um, I'm just briefly going to mention uh, hybrid Jeep Wrangler. Yeah, which uh, I here don't, in Colorado I think is going to do well. It's going to do well, and it's going to break all the time because it's Fiat Chrysler. So it's going to fit in with Jeep just fine. Yeah, it's going <laughs> to slot right into yeah. their lineup. I just I saw that I'm like, yeah, I don't trust that at all. Yeah, that's just going to. There's no way that's going to keep working. The extra E in the hybrid EV is going to be for another empty, when just empty every pocket. Oh, yeah. For that <laughs> just, yeah, we'll have to come up with a new one for that. Um, so briefly touching on that, we're moving on because, yeah, Jeep Wrangler, who cares? Um, electric F-150, all electric. So, yeah, I found that interesting because I have an F-150 that was grounded for a year because of electrical issues. <laughs> This is true. Yeah. Ford is known for having some electrical issues. So I'm interested to see the reliability of an electric truck. Right. Um, obviously for towing, wonderful. Right. Well, depends on the range. Yeah, that's true. Because it just seems like, you know, range is the biggest problem right now. Once you get them loaded up, I feel like it's just going to dump that range like crazy. It's like you can tow a million pounds, but only two miles. Right. <laughs> so it's like, I'm curious how they're going to, you know, balance that out. Yeah, I, knowing Ford, they they just won't, and right. and then you know after a few years they'll they'll kind of work out the bugs. That yeah. would be what I would think. But um, hopefully they've got some some R and D into it to where you know when it hits the market, it won't have any glaring issues like that. Right. Well, you know Ford is they're you know tripling down on the electric stuff because then on top of the F one hundred and fifty, we have the Mustang Mach E, which is finally out. I've seen a couple on the road actually. Wow. I'm in Highlands Ranch, man. Everybody wants their electric cars down here. It's ridiculous. It's, it's all Teslas and like Mustang Mach-E's. I see the Kia high or Kia electric cars. It's it's ridiculous down here. That's funny. I yeah, because I I've seen a lot more since I moved to the area, but I haven't seen any new Mustangs rolling around yet. What do yeah. they look like in in the wild? You know, they're not bad. Okay. As far as like, I mean, as far as like an SUV, like sporty SUV goes, it is good looking. It it. The proportions actually, ironically, re- remind me a little bit of the first-gen FX35 from Infinity. Okay, that was a good-looking car. Like, the hood is pretty long on this thing, compared to, like, the Tesla SUV, which is a big egg. Yeah. You know, yeah. this one has, like, a hood. Okay. So, I don't know. They look pretty cool. And it just... I don't know. I, I still argue that they shouldn't call it a Mustang. I am in 100% agreement there. Right. Um, you know, when Ford announced that they were going to stop making cars... You know, it's like, okay, those were never their big market segments. No, they know? really weren't. Because, you know, people who, who knew were going to go buy a Japanese, you know, buy a, an Accord or a Camry instead mm-hmm. of a Fusion or a Taurus anyway. Right. Because they're more reliable and maybe you'll pay a little bit more entry, but the maintenance costs over the owner cost of ownership. Right. You know, you're going to save money. Um, so I was like, that's a good idea, but, you know, you got to keep the Mustang. But then diluting the Mustang name by putting it on a crossover and a sedan, it's... It's no, uh, you know, that brand needs to mean something. Right. You know, throughout our whole lives, if you say, I've got a Mustang, people knew, I've got a sports car. Right. And now it's like, oh, you have a, a soccer mom crossover. Right. And <laughs> it's like, no, no, I swear, it's a sports car. Well, I have heard, uh, I was watching these uh, Canadian reviewers whose name escapes me. They're on YouTube. Okay. They're pretty popular. So whoever's listening, you probably know what I'm talking about. But they, they drove one and it was just like, it wasn't the... Uh, the crazy one they're coming out with, like the top of the line sport okay. model. It was just like the regular one. And they did comment how it handles really well for an electric car. Like as far as okay. you put it up against like any Tesla or anything and it feels better to drive. Like it actually feels more connected. That's one thing about Teslas is they, you don't really, f- it, it feels like, you know, I got my uh, wheel and pedal set up for the computer now. Yeah. It feels like that. It does like a video game. Yeah. I drove a Model S and... While the the acceleration is intoxicating, right? <laughs> um, you know, it feels like a luxury golf cart, right? You know, the even the the, the pedal feel and everything, it's you're pretty numb. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's like I can't. I'm not going to argue the performance of it, but the driving experience just isn't there. Yeah, and I, I heard from them or on the video that the Mustang Mach E does have a pretty good driving experience still. That's so good to know. It I, I feel like I feel like the engineers at Ford at least were like or. 
Yeah, the engineers at Ford, when they heard that marketing was going to call it a Mustang, because, yeah. you know, that's different departments. They're like, ah, fuck, you're going to call it a Mustang? Don't, don't do this. It's like, we, we better make this thing, like, <laughs> actually feel like a proper car, you know? That's funny, putting the name before the actual vehicle. Yeah. Oh, you know they did. You yeah. know, some designer came up with a sketch, put Mustang on it, yeah. and then some director said yes and greenlit it, and it was up to the engineers at that point to make it happen. Poor engineers. Yeah. <laughs> well, poor engineers depends on who you talk to. If you talk to, like, like my dad, who has to design the parts that they make the parts that the engineers design. Yeah. He's like, no, poor engineers. They're fucking idiots. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how to machine anything. To them, it's all CAD and paper. Right. <laughs> it's like he gets things like I can't machine that. Yeah, like, that's that. That's physically impossible. <laughs> right. Ugh. <laughs> uh. So, who knows? Maybe we'll actually see a, a proper electric sports car out of Ford eventually. But for right now, our best bet is actually Lotus and Alpine, yeah. who, are, who are teaming up. That's a a French company and a British company teaming up to make an electric sports car. I'm concerned for the reliability. But I'm <laughs> really curious what the uh, product is going to be like. It's going to look great and handle well until it breaks. Right. <laughs> Because the only saving grace of Lotus recently has been the Toyota drivetrains. Yes, because the the British electrics are known for problems. Right. There are people who still daily Elises. Yeah. And even then, like, everything I've heard, because I really want an Avora in the future, especially because, yes. like, the regular Avoras are getting dirty cheap. You can pick them up for, like, 30 Gs. And they handle so well. Right. Like, they're, they're wonderful to drive. And I know it's not an Elise. It's not the, like... Yes. But... I want the Avora. I want the GT car. And the Elise is, you know, the Elise, I've, I've, I haven't driven a base Elise, but I've driven an Exige. That's the same body. Mm -hmm. Getting in and out of that car is yeah. absurd. And you're how old? 6'3"? Six, 6'3", three? Six, three, yeah. Yeah, so so you would have a time. Oh, we, we had one. Um, uh, I can't remember the customer's name. He had that juke that we had to do all the cooling. The one we uh, had to rig the radiator up for? Yeah, yeah. or the uh transmission had, cooler had to get those uh, brass fittings yep yeah <clears throat> he had an exige he might still have it but he brought it in before and i was like i gotta i gotta see if I, I fit in this yeah and i do barely and yeah getting in and out is yeah. like i like literally have to like grab my leg and pull it towards me a little more to get it over the hump yeah because the tub comes up about a foot off the ground <laughs> yeah. and then the roof sits maybe three feet off the ground yeah so you have to kind of do this crab walk <laughs> yeah. and like put you you there's like a, a choreography to getting into this car and getting out of it nobody looks graceful right like my my biggest concern is if i own that car and i wreck it i don't think i'm getting out yeah i never thought about that <laughs> if those openings close even a small amount right yeah you're just trapped in that little thing i mean the solution to that is don't crash right but but if you're driving a lotus the way you should you're it's, inevitably going to hit something. Yeah, it's possible. But when I sat in an Evora, like, that thing's, like, roomy. Mm -hmm. It's it's great. I love that car. Yeah, and it's got power steering, which is something that, you know, I know that the car handles better without it. Right. But to daily something, right. having power steering is, is a godsend. I've daily lots of cars without power steering. My Miata, the G20. Uh, Infinity G20. Yeah. I got to specify that because there is a van called a G20. <laughs> um, and the RX-7, none of those had power steering. And parallel parking was, was fun, huh? Yeah. Especially the Infinity G20 because that was front-wheel drive. Yeah, I didn't know that the Infinities didn't come without power steering. Oh, they did. They had power steering. I I think the pump was leaking and I was lazy and I just deleted everything. Oh, that's fair. Because okay. I was also completely broke. And I was like, yeah. well, I just don't need this anymore. Like, <laughs> That's right. parasitic loss. Congratulations, we have a Sentra. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah, so the fact that, you know, I, I love Lotus. And the fact that if anybody's going to build an electric sports car. And one of the first articles I ever wrote for Circuit 94. And if the people listening don't know, I, I do have some articles up on Circuit94.com. It's a buddy of mine's website. He's been running it for a while. Um yeah. The first article I wrote on there was, where are the electric sports cars? Like, I, I see the electric hypercars. Yes. You know, the multi-million dollar hypercars. I see the electric SUVs. I see the electric sedans. Yes. Why don't we have a 
affordable, quote unquote, no car is affordable these days, I swear, but right. Something um, that's about $30,000. Yeah. 30 to even 50, you know, like something yeah. that, and that's small and light and is a sports car. Yeah. And nobody was doing that. So I'm excited to see what these people can come up with. I'm interested to see what price point it'll land on because knowing yeah. Lotus, it could be anywhere. Right. <laughs> I mean, th- their bodies, the Lotus bodies have been used in cars that are, you know, $20,000 and then they were used to build the Hennessy Venom GT, which was over a million. Or their new Lotus has the new electric one. Oh, they, they've got their own in-house electric car? Yeah, their okay. electric hypercar. Oh. It's, it's something like two and a half million dollars has. Okay. If you had to guess how much horsepower this electric hypercar from Lotus has, what what number would you throw out there? I mean, knowing Lotus, I would I would kind of lowball myself. I'd say, you know, if it's $2 million, it should have over 500. But knowing Lotus, you know, I would say no more than than 6. 2,000 in a Lotus in a from Lotus. the factory. Yeah. I mean, this thing is a That's it's amazing. a one-off I wonder if well, we can bring it up later. You you should look it up. It it is a gorgeous car. They're making like two hundred of them. The thing is, the thing is nuts. But once again, I've I've said this multiple times. I'm tired of new hypercars coming out. I'm just I'm I'm sick of seeing things that some rich dude's gonna park in a garage somewhere yeah. and never drive. He's gonna drive it around, take it to one show maybe, right? And then it's gonna sit in his collection, right? It's like yeah. I I get them from an engineering perspective. Like, yeah. you know, and stuff like that is just like, all right, we need to push our engineering and see what we can do. But there's just, there's too many of them. The yeah. market's too, I want to say saturated, but people keep buying them up. So I don't know where all these rich people are, but. Uh, they're drawing out of the disappearing middle class, I suppose. Yeah. You know, we're going to, <laughs> this is going to become a different podcast here. <laughs> but the point is, I rather see an electric sports car. If, if you're going to sell a electric car hell the only one that ever existed was the tesla roadster yeah and that one was also built on a lotus body ironically (laughs) (laughs) yes so i want to see if they can solve the weight problem you know how are they gonna how are they gonna tackle that how do you yeah because that's that's the biggest thing you know with internal combustion it's where do you put the engine right with electric cars it's where do you put the batteries yep and you know in a safe way you know so you don't end up doing what richard hammond did and Right, one that set itself on fire for two days. Right, <laughs> yeah. But was it more? I thought it was more than two days. Was Wasn't it longer? It? I think I know I that they, they so. show up with water to put out the electrical fire. Yeah, so it, it yeah, does not going to work very go well. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. We're going to have to start rethinking like the safety stuff at racetracks and stuff. You know. Yeah, they're going to have to have onboard. I wonder how many racetracks have already done that. I don't know. I, I would think very few. Yeah, because most don't allow even hybrids to race. I wonder, I bet Laguna Seca will probably be a pioneer on that one because they're having to deal with so many noise restrictions now. Right. Um, you know, they can only run, you know, past their decibel limit so many days a year and that number shrinks every every year. Man, I never thought about that. So I'm, I've, you know, I really want, if, if I can, like I'm pretty old to be doing this at this point, but I'd love to actually get a seat in a race car, like drive in a series, yeah. you know, legit race car. Now they kind of think, I'm like, ah, oh, by the time... I could probably do that. Everything's going to be electric. It's not going to be quite as thrilling. You know, you don't have the sound of the crazy uncorked yeah. V8 and stuff. But it will also stop people from complaining about racetracks as much. That's true. I'm sure they'll find something to complain yeah, about. Yeah, probably tire noise or something. Yeah. But but yeah, that that is interesting. That Electric cars could save tracks like Laguna Seca and Road Atlanta. Right. Tracks that have been there since, you know, they've been there for decades. Or shit, and if you're here in... Uh, here in Denver, Bandemir. I mean, oh, Bandemir's having trouble. Yeah, Bandemir's been having trouble for a long time. Oh, Because wow. if you okay. if you go drive by there, you see all the like driving up 470 on the right side. There's all those new crazy houses and stuff. Yeah. And then the you know the track is built into the side of the cliff, so all the sound echoes off that <laughs> cliff right into their houses. <laughs> and it's a drag strip too, yeah. which is arguably the loudest racetrack you could be next to. Right. So I, but part of drag racing is that like. 
excitement of the sound and the just visceral experience. Yeah. With so. a, and that's a and that's a sad part I'm gonna see go away from a lot of racing. Right. But hey, you know, for geezers like us, they'll probably be some sort of classics racing. Right. Yeah, I mean they still race cars from like the twenties, so yeah. we'll be fine. We we just won't be mainstream. No. <laughs> it's fine. I don't want to be yeah. mainstream, are you kidding me? Internal combustion all the way. <laughs> I don't know. I I can see myself owning an electric car in the future. And if Lotus Alpine stuff, uh if it comes out, it's decent. And in 20 years, I can afford it. <laughs> yes. I'll probably buy one, but I'm going to have to wait for that depreciation. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it'll take about that long if it's not available for sale in the U.S. That's true. Uh, speaking of not for sale in the U.S. is another uh, electric, I guess you can call it a sports car. The Renault. The Renault, yeah. Yeah. The Turbo, that's the Turbo 5, I guess they just call the 5 EV concept. So it's got a Turbo 5 mated to an electric uh, motor? Well, the Turbo 5 was the old... Uh, like the mid-engine hatchback car which was always so cool right that somebody built something like that from the factory yeah ridiculous it's like the engine is below where you put your groceries <laughs> right <laughs> just the fact that it was a factory car is ridiculous but they're possibly it's just a concept right now they're gonna make an electric version so like a hot hatch electric car which if if it's been running a mid-engine you know hatchback layout arguably that's kind of the the structure set up for electric yeah you can do that pretty easily honestly and have way more cargo room yeah yeah i didn't think about that but yeah just removing the engine compartment you're gonna gain i don't know two cubic feet at least right which is you know a huge selling point for a hatchback yeah and i don't know if they could make a sporty hatchback that'd be pretty exciting that'd be a good kind of stepping stone to get to a true sports car right yeah, that would be real because, you know, that's the that's the the next thing, you know, the the GTIs and, and your Fiesta, yep. you know, a hatchback that's still really fun to drive. Right. Um, but you have all the practicality. Yeah. Um, that's that's something that kind of brings something to the masses, you know. Yeah. And I guess the, the I'm curious what platform this rides on, because, uh, you know, Renault and Nissan are in bed together. Are they still even after the. Yeah, they're still. Like, OK, they're. If anything, there's, I don't think anything really changed there. I think they just went back to, Nissan went back to like Japanese management, but I think they're okay. still in like, they still share technology and stuff like that. Okay. Because the Nissan Leaf, I believe, is the same platform as the Versa, basically, which is the same platform as the Renault um, Clio. Okay, the really small one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Actually, I think it's the same platform as the Megane as well. It's just a little bit like, stretched okay i had no idea that the 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 nissan leaf shared a platform with the renault mcgann yeah i'm i'm i mean don't quote me exactly on that but i do remember when i had my first gen versa i was looking at uh parts in europe for clios because i could bolt them up to the versa that's cool i never pulled the trigger because it was so expensive but and it was a versa (laughs) so (laughs) it wasn't really worth it i didn't buy this car to put money into (laughs) no i really didn't i still ended up putting you know springs and shocks and racing tires on it and took it out to the track but that's we're gearheads that's what we do right i couldn't help it (laughs) it's it's hard to buy a car that you like and not put more money than the car's worth into the car (laughs) right but yeah so i'm curious because also a while back like uh, Nissan came out with a Leaf concept car that had it had three electric motors. I want to say, wow, okay. So what? One driving one axle and two others independent on the yeah. Wheels? I think I want to say the fronts had one each and the rear had one like okay. the rear axle. Okay, so it could do like torque vectoring and stuff on the front. See, that's cool. That way, you're uh, yeah, you you can uh, get through corners a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I like that. But uh, it was pretty quick. Like, I remember reading that, like, just build that, guys. Just build that. Like, yeah. it did, like, you know, zero to 60 in, like, four or five seconds. Like, yeah. pretty quick. It so was... that's an electric car that can go toe-to-toe with most muscle cars. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think it kind of, like, the Leaf currently does, it kind of peters out in the top end. But whatever. Yeah. You mostly drive under 70, 80 most of the time if you're in the city anyways. So Yeah, between the lights, mm-hmm. you could uh, you could have a lot of fun with that. So I wonder if they're going to be using that technology. They just, you know, that was their test bed for this Renault 5 concept. Yeah, I mean, that that's interesting. I wonder, does do we know how many motors that one has? No, I don't. Well, I didn't see in that. Maybe I'll have to reread it afterwards, but I didn't see. I think it's mostly just like 
here's a thing we could build. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> look how cool it looks. And then and then all the uh, affiliated companies get to use it as a parts bin. Right. And kind of pick from it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like several years ago, there was that Volkswagen concept. It was a mid-engined uh, rear-wheel drive Volkswagen that was designed to take a four-cylinder diesel. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it never got built. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything rear-wheel drive from Volkswagen, except for maybe those older Volkswagen trucks. Um, yeah, has Volkswagen ever made a rear-wheel drive thing? I it's either have, front or all. Yeah, they, they have. They haven't for a while, if they have. Yeah. Um, but then Porsche got a hold of it, and they were talking about making an entry-level something slotted below the Boxster for a while, and it would have had a so Turbo cool. Four. Yeah, that would have been awesome. And now they've got a Turbo Four in the Cayman, and I don't think the price point came down at all. No, I don't <laughs> think so. <laughs> but no, like. Yeah, that, that's that's a big thing. Is like we all want affordable sports cars, but the problem is nobody buys them. Yeah, just because, and nobody buys them. It's not because there isn't a demand for them. It's because like even a thirty-five, forty thousand dollar car, that's that's a big payment. It is. And for the people that those cars are marketed to, we currently don't have the money to be buying shit. No, we don't. So <laughs> it's just like it, it it sucks, but it's gonna. I think it's gonna be the market for a while. I think it's it's interesting now, you know, you're seeing new cars and, you know, as a gearhead, you're looking forward several years and planning right. to buy one when it depreciates, something that hasn't even come out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's what I'm thinking about with the, the Supra. Right. Because, you know, European Auto Group has that uh, $12,000 manual conversion kit. Okay. Uh, it's, it's actually turnkey for $12,000. They install... Uh, BMW manual transmission and even interior shifter assembly. Huh. So it looks OEM. That'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, because well, the Z4 had a manual, right? The four-cylinder version did. Okay. Um, and I. Well, there's at least some trim for the interior available then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is. Okay. And uh, I think I'm not sure if they pull it out of the Z4 or other like existing uh, BMWs. I would guess something. BMW really likes to make their gearboxes like specific for. Okay. You know, like, oh, this is a four-cylinder, so it's going to make this much torque. We'll make this gearbox, you know. Okay. So I have a feeling that you put a four-cylinder gearbox behind the the six. big six and turn up the boost, you're going to grenade that thing. <laughs> yeah, and that's exactly what everyone with a Supra would do. Right. <laughs> Especially if you just dropped it off at a tuning shop. Did you see the picture going around of the Supra pulling a fucking wheelie at the drag strip? No, a new, a new Supra? A new one. And it's a legit picture? As far as I know, it is. Oh, that's awesome. I it's need to re- watch that. Yeah, I, I, there's got to be a video out there, but it's it's running slicks and skinnies, you know, and I think it's tuned and stuff, but I don't think it had that much done to it. I don't think there's that much out there yet, you know? I mean, they say that motor can handle a lot. Probably. Which is cool because they actually built a real successor for the 2J. Right. Yeah. Well, it's they, it. in power-wise... We'll see about reliability-wise. We'll see when people really push the limits how often they explode. Because yeah. it is all aluminum. It's not cast iron like the old one. Not even just, like, reliability of, um, like, tuned. I'm just concerned about their reliability of just, like, it's going to leak oil everywhere. It's going to, you know, we're, we're, we're going to be doing valve covers left and right because the PCV system is going to fail. Like, I, just, I know too much about BMWs now, <laughs> <laughs> about modern ones, and how just the timing chains are going to fail. Like, there's just... Yeah. There's so much stuff on those that, that can fail and usually does. If you haven't remembered the last time you replaced the oil filter housing gasket, you should probably just go ahead and replace it. Right, exactly. <laughs> and that's going to leak onto your belt and then the belt's going to shred and then the crank pulley's going to suck the belt into your oil pan and block your pickup tube so that way your your bearings don't get oil. It's ridiculous, but it happens. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's like, what's, what's the, uh, the term for the... Um... It's a Rube Goldberg device. <laughs> it's a giant Rube Goldberg, like, suicide machine. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my God. That being said, I still love BMWs. When, <laughs> yeah. When, when they work right. When they work right, they, they are, are awesome great. cars. Um, but there's a reason I don't own one right now. Right, because you need all the money in the world to keep it on the road. Absolutely. I wouldn't be able to have any other projects if I owned a BMW. <laughs> right. So, you mentioned earlier, like looking to the future about cars that we want to buy in the future, like way down the road. Yes. And one that I'm interested for, not for buying, but possibly pilfering parts off of is the Mazda MX-30 crossover. Yes. Because it's a hybrid with a rotary range extender. And 
that whole car seems like that that in and of itself what you just said <laughs> right that's an identity crisis it's such an identity crisis <laughs> it's you know let's take the most efficient power plant we know how to make mm-hmm. and pair it with one of the least efficient internal combustion power plants we could ever make right again that being said because i'm a you know i'm i'm a little bit of a masochist i love rotary engines too right you know even though i know that they burn oil by design Right. And constantly degrade themselves. And get like two miles per gallon. Yeah. But, you know, you, how else are you going to make that much power out of a 1.3? Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm like, I actually wrote an article about this for Circuit 94 too. So this is my second plug for that website. But um, I wrote about this because it just seems like the stupidest way to bring back the rotary engine. And that's where I'm conflicted on this car because it is. It's a really, it's not a good use of the rotary. No. But I'm just glad it's getting used. Right. Yeah, because I just want to see rotaries in the future. Because rotary sports cars are just a blast to drive. They only work if you drive them just like you're absolutely crazy. Right. <laughs> you have to experience that full range of RPM or they just they don't work. And uh, that's what I'm worried about with the hybrid is I don't see, you know, a crossover made it to an electric engine allowing for the rpm range right. to happen you know allowing for that thing to hit redline on a regular basis well i mean because of the way the ports are designed rotaries really do have like a sweet spot where they like to like they make the most power like they're, one they're, sweet rpm yeah they they're really you know peaky in their power delivery and usually when you build a race one it's really high up in the rpm like ten thousand rpm but i maybe you could design one for lower rpm torque i don't i don't know if you could though Maybe I know they were talking about uh, this was several years ago when they were talking about making another RX-8. Mm-hmm. They were saying they were going to try to increase the displacement to help fuel economy and emissions. Okay, you know, not increase the power, but just just the displacement to try to take, I guess, take less stress off of it. Hmm. Um, maybe they can do it that way. Have they released a displacement for the? Uh, See, that's what I'm wondering too, because I'm I'm thinking it's going to be like a tiny little like one rotor half liter thing or something you know yeah something that that kind of fits with the whole you know compact uh, right. aspect of that vehicle yeah because that's the only reason i could really think of them using that is the compactness of it yeah because you could reach in with your arms and just replace that engine right what if it's like a rotary engine with like a handle on it and you can just like it's like a briefcase sized engine i think that you just came up with a great idea for a 13b project <laughs> <laughs> Well, see, the reason I'm really interested in this is because I, in my head, I do think it is some little tiny rotary, and I want to build a go-kart with one. That would be so much fun. <laughs> right? Yeah, you and the two strokes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just, oh my God, can you imagine like a, either like an off-road go-kart or even like a shifter cart Yeah, on one of those, just screaming away? And just be louder than everyone. <laughs> right? That would be so much fun. Well, that, that was my other thing with this rotary engine. Like, okay, the in this crossover is like, yes, it's small, but rotaries are loud, very loud. Yeah. So you need to put giant mufflers on it to keep it quiet. <laughs> and I'm just like, so there, there goes all of your packaging stuff. But then you got to yeah. put a catalytic converter in there and just, I don't know. I'm curious to see how it works. I'm curious to see one, see pictures of one. If I can get one in person, I'd really love to take a look at it, but. That would that would be cool, yeah. Because you're right. If you once you add that much exhaust components, you might as well use a regular piston engine, right? If you're just doing a range extender, you could probably just get away with like a two cylinder or something, you know. And I'm also interested because Mazda used that MX designation. Yeah. So that's only ever been for the Miata, mm-hmm. and this is going on. A hatch- well, no, it's been for you. They had the oh, MX6 and the MX3. And the MX3. That's that's true. I forgot about those. Those MX3s, the little teardrop cars. Yeah, I love those things. Those were they, cool. They came with a two. And a half liter V6. So it was a there was a two and a half six in the MX6. Or no, uh, and what, then no, there was sorry. a one point eight. Yeah, you're right. It was a one point eight V6 in, in that the thing. M- the sm- that's actually the smallest V6 I've ever heard of. I think it's anything. the smallest production V6 ever made. Wow. Like production wise. Yeah, I, I knew a guy back east who he had one that uh, he had an original GT with the one point eight V6, but he swapped a two five out of an MX six into it. Everybody does that, and I get why because it bolts right in, and you get a shut ton of power. But yeah. man, I just love the idea of that little tiny V six. Yeah, you know, it's, it feels like something you could. I mean, talking about another, you know, go kart or or project <laughs> engine, it feels like something you could have a lot of fun with. Right. Yeah, I've. I've been a big fan of those 
Mazda, the, the KL series engines for a while. Is that the, that's the series? So the yeah. 1.8 and the 2.5 or, yep. or the KL18, KL25? Mm, they they, they, they're kind of weird designations, but okay. that's kind of the umbrella term. Is It's kind of like how LS is the umbrella term for all the, yeah. the new V8s, even though I don't think any of them are LS anymore that are in the production line. I know that the, the LS9 had a cast iron block, and I didn't think LSs were supposed to have cast iron. Well, then we got the LT. Then, yeah. That's back again. Oh, it's back? Well, yeah. The new Corvette engine was like the LT something. Oh, in the C8. Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. But, that you know, back in the 80s, it was the LT one. <laughs> uh, so that's just confusing. And then we got the LQ engines, and the yeah, they... They went off the rails with their designations again. That's funny. And you know, it used to be so simple. Right. Like Honda engines in the 90s. It's like here, this letter is the series. Put a decimal point between these numbers, B18. It's right. a B series with 1.8. Yep. It's <laughs> and, just nice and easy. And then, you know, it's either the A1, the B1, or the C, the C's VTEC. Yeah, I never... The C's VTEC, okay. I, I, I could never remember those ones. The C1 was the GSR, and the C5 was the... Uh, type R motor that everyone was oh, so okay. coveting. Gotcha. But then the B16B was a B was a VTEC. That was the Euro Civic Type R motor. Okay. See, you know more about this than I do. I never oh, got oh. that far into the Honda designations. I blew up a few Honda engines. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you said that in like our first episode. Uh well, look at that. We actually got through all the like at least important electric car news yeah when we only we only got distracted half a dozen times or so I right. wasn't too bad. <laughs> uh, i hope people like uh you know little sidetrack paths because man it's just like we won't become a political podcast there for a minute <laughs> that's true we'll try to stay away from economic theory in the future yeah you know people got a lot you know there's a lot been a lot of shit going on and uh I do kind of feel weird not mentioning all the crazy shit that's happening in the world but at the same time people kind of need you know just some semblance of normalcy. Yeah. So yeah. I'm, I'm not going to make this podcast be something it's not. Yeah, absolutely. This is just two guys talking about cars. Right. Huh. We can worry about all the other shit some other time. Yeah, like constantly right after this is over. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just get back to worrying again. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming on the podcast again, Chris. Matt, thanks for having me. Sorry about all my sickness delays. Yeah, hopefully we'll have another... Uh, Two weeks and then then back. In two weeks and, and or did I and just I'll cur- be back or I'll be dead? Did I curse you to get yeah, sick again? Ho- hopefully. <laughs> uh, and and we're talking about going to a new location soon, right? Yeah. So uh, that might delay us too, but I'm hoping in two weeks I'm going to have the the new condo set up and we're going to have a new studio. Which yeah, that's exciting, man. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah. So uh, those that don't know, I haven't been posting much to you know Instagram. I'm doing. Haven't been doing much writing or doing YouTube stuff just because I've been working on getting this condo set up here. And uh, nobody told me it was going to be that much paperwork. Oh, my God. Yeah, I watched you do paperwork for four days. <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd come up and every when you weren't working on a car, you were working on paperwork. I'm it, like, there's, there's still more, too. Wow. Yeah. Well, I got the final the closing stuff to do. I got to get some stuff transferred over like the electric and the cable and get the insurance set up. Yeah, there's still more to do. It's fun being an adult. <sighs> Not really. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I want to thank the band Wheels for the use of their theme song, Colors, off the album Traveler Part 1. Traveler Part 2 is out now, and you can find them at wheelstheband.bandcamp.com. And that is going to do us, do it for us this week. So thanks again, Chris. Thanks, Matt. And we will see you all next time. <laughs>